Hey, what up, Q? What up, Radio World? We got something to move tonight, and we start the whole fucking thing off. Help me, anything move, we not out. Let's go. What's going on, people? All right. I would like to welcome all of you to another edition of Zone Coverage on T2Q. My name is Q, and this is my podcast. And on today's show, we want to go over a few things. We want to know, first of all, what's going on in Dallas. You know, the Cowboys are back on a losing streak. And on top of that, they're losing in prime time. Now, the Eagles don't appear to want to win either. So which one of these teams will be the sacrificial lamb in the wild card round of the playoffs come January. The Ravens and the Niners gave us a great heavyweight fight this weekend. Was this a preview of the Super Bowl? You know, that remains to be seen. And we all saw the T-shirt that Freddie Kitchens had on. Pittsburgh started it. Well, they finished it too. Are the Browns done at 5-7? and seven? These things and more as zone coverage comes back to T2Q. Hey, what up, Q? What up, Radio World? <laughs> we got something to prove tonight, and we start the whole circle thing off. Help me, anything move, we not out. Let's go. I am the greatest. Go play intramurals, brother. You don't play to just play it. You play to win. Do you have any questions? I got a question. You got any excuses tonight, Roy? Playoffs? What are you talking about? Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. Be a dog. We don't need no meows, we don't need no cats, we need more dogs. But we talking about practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice? All right. To the phone lines I go, to the 850 area code, the Emerald Coastline of Pensacola, Florida, to welcome on the homie Buck. Buck, what's going on? What's going on? Uh, same on, same on, man. Glad to have you on. And for those who want to follow the show, go to TalkToQ.com, sign up for the email newsletter, or follow me on Twitter at TalkToQ. All right, Buck, no time to lollygag. We'll get straight to the body bag. You know how we do it. That's right. And so, and I say that, and I'm not even ready. There we go. We will start off with Buffalo 26, Dallas 15. Had a hard time keeping down my Thanksgiving dinner, and so did 90,000 people at AT&T Stadium. Oops, I forget. I'm not supposed to call it that. Cowboys Stadium saw the Bills up their record to 9-3. and three. The Cowboys are now even at 6-6. Six and six. You know, Jason Garrett loves those 500 records. And this game 
was close at the half, but Buffalo seemed like they were in control at the start of the second quarter in this game. Um, it was 13 to seven halftime, and then by the end of three, it was 23 to seven, and um, that was pretty much a wrap. And despite all of the offense Dallas had, uh, they didn't make the plays when they had to. They had two turnovers, uh, both by Dak Prescott, an interception and a fumble. Uh, both teams had four sacks. Penalties were just about even. Buffalo did edge them in time of possession, 33-26. Uh, let's see. Josh Allen was 19 of 24. 231 yards and a touchdown. He was sacked four times, like I said. He had 43 yards rushing and another touchdown. Uh, but they were led by Devin Singletary, who had 14 carries for 63 yards. And Cole Beasley, little Measley Beasley, returned to Dallas and dropped six catches, 110 yards, and a touchdown on Dallas. And, Buck, um, you all have to face Buffalo pretty soon. What impressed you about this team? Man, well, I mean, Buffalo is, you know, they as advertised. I mean, these, I mean, they're playing the way they need to play, and they are very, very dangerous. Um, the defense is is showing up every week, um, and you, you know, Buffalo. This is the thing about Buffalo: a lot, they don't get a lot of nationally tele, televised airtime. So, people, you know, people remember the most recent Buffalo where, you know, you go into the stadium that, you know, this is a, this is somebody you have on your calendar and this is an automatic win. Okay. That's what they're looking at, but they've changed the culture up there. They've got players that, that have bought in to the system. Um, you know, they've put the right coaching staff in place. They got the right defense, right offense, right special teams, um, right people at the right positions. So they're doing, you know, they're doing the things they need to do. They're becoming more like, you know, I think these guys understand the history that these guys had. In the 90s, these boys were dangerous. They may have lost Super Bowls, but they were going every year. Okay? That set, you know, that set some sort of precedent, you know, of winning. It, first of all, it's hard to get to the Super Bowl. But to do it in, in as many years as they did it, you know, it takes a lot of wins to get up there and you got to beat a lot of teams. So it's, it creates a winning culture. You may have not won the big game, but it at least creates a winning culture. So now these guys get it. You know, they see these greats coming in all the time, Bruce Smith, you know, Jim Kelly, um, Thurman Thomas and others, you know, um, coming in, you know, on all these special occasions and things of that nature. And they get to talk to these guys. And they get to get their input on the game. All of this resonates with this group. I don't know why it didn't resonate with some of the ones in the past, but it starts with the coaching staff, and then it, you know it goes on. I mean, so when you see these great, you want to be great, you know, and you want to. In order to be great, you have to talk to great people. So I think that's what they're doing. And if you think you're gonna go in there and walk over these guys. You better think again. You better you get you know you you might get walked on, and I just think sometimes teams look at the schedule, you know, and they kind of overlook certain teams. You can't overlook any team in the National Football League because it's any given Sunday. 
And I kind of think that maybe Dallas just thought that they were just going to walk walk over you guys, walk over them, and it didn't happen. All right. Well, I don't think anybody underestimates the team with that type of record. I mean, they were eight and three coming into this game, but uh, Dallas, you know, they were good on offense. I mean, thirty-two of forty-nine. 355 yards for Dak Prescott, who leads the league in yardage, surprisingly. Two touchdowns, an interception, four sacks, and a fumble. He had 25 yards rushing. Zeke was 12 for 71, so he had a, a good day. Another 66 yards receiving. Amari Cooper had eight catches for 85 yards. But just on what I'm seeing with Dallas is that um, for one reason, the yard the yardage, they get a lot of yardage, but they also have to drive long fields because they don't get turnovers. They don't get turnovers. The special teams is poor. I mean, the special teams let them down again uh, with a, a missed field goal that was somewhat makeable, and uh, they also had a uh, block punt. And I'm sorry, not a block punt. It was a uh, – I'm forgetting. It's a block field goal. Yeah, one of the field goals got blocked. The other one was just missed, I believe. And uh, so they're not getting any help from special teams. They're not getting any help from turnovers. So what do they have to do? They have to matriculate the ball down the field, and they usually have to go a long way. That's part of the reason why they have so much yardage, because they have so far to go. Uh, In the last four weeks, I think they've only started one possession in the other team's territory. That's unheard of. The only other team that's that's worse than that are the Bengals. and I think what Dallas has done in an effort to be different is that they, they, they've gotten away from the running game. We, we know the last three years they've really relied heavily on Zeke. A lot of people thought Zeke was being overworked. Um, and, you know, in this game, Zeke was running the ball well. 12 carries for 71 yards is a, a nice little clip. That's almost six yards a carry. You know, but they didn't give him the ball enough, and they're. I, I guess they've gotten so used to Dak throwing for so many yards that they rely on him a little too much, and it keeps them from controlling the clock. And when you can't control the clock, you can't protect your defense. And what made Dallas so good last year is that their defense was really good. They weren't on the field that much, and when they were on the field, they were well rested and ready to go. That's not the case this year. Time of possession this year has been fairly even uh, for the Cowboys, whereas last year um, they had like a three, four-minute advantage, I think, on teams in time of possession. So I think that's where you're seeing the difference. Uh, And that's something, you know, he's a young play caller. That's something that a coach is supposed to fix, but Jason Garrett is not that great of a coach to me. He doesn't make adjustments, which is why teams continue to do things uh, throughout the game, and we don't stop them. So, I mean, in this game, Cole Beasley was taking it to Jordan Lewis, and don't get me wrong, Joe, Jordan Lewis is a very competitive defensive back, and he does a great job. But Cole Beasley, Julian Edelman, uh, little shifty guys like that are very hard to to stop in a slot when a quarterback has time especially. And you have to double up on them. And Dallas did not adjust on defense and double up on them. And he kind of just did his thing and ran all over the field and made them pay for it. So um, 
with Dallas, it's all about making adjustments, and unfortunately, they don't have a coach who appears to be capable of doing that. So we'll see what happens going forward. But right now, you know, it's not a lot of confidence in them with their fans. And, uh, you know, as far as the, the 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 NFC East is concerned, the only thing they have going for them is the fact that the Eagles don't want to win either. So... <laughs> So um, I don't know whichever one of these teams does make the playoffs. It's a, it's a strange, it's a, it's a strange um, deal because now what it looks like, in all honesty, it really looks like um, that the, the is going to be somebody's going to be seven and nine that's going to win this win this because I I have no confidence in any of these guys doing anything. <laughs> Me just being completely honest, it, it looks really scary. I mean, we remember a few years ago that um, the Rams over there, you know, they ended up, you know, going to the playoffs seven and nine. And I think they actually won a game, didn't they? I think they won one game um, in the playoffs. Uh, I don't remember the Rams or the Cardinals. It was somebody that did that, I think. I, I think it was the Rams. I'm pretty sure it was the Rams. Mm-hmm. So it was. It was just. It's just strange, you know, to yeah. see teams. You know, so. And that's why they need to, in my opinion, we'll see this, what happens. this will be a discussion for maybe another show. They need to reseed um, in the playoffs when the regular season is over. I don't, I think they should just seed by record and not give division, you know, kind of like they're doing the, in the NBA and not give division winners um, one of the top four seeds because. I mean, hypothetically, if the playoffs ended today, you're talking about the 49ers having to travel to Dallas for a playoff game. The 49ers are 10-2. and two. All right. To me, that's not right. All right. right. To have a 10-2 and two team going to a 6-16. and six team. Because you never know what can happen. I mean, you go there, and all of a sudden, you know, Dak and Zeke catch fire. Now you have a 10-2 and two team that gets bounced out of the playoffs because they had to play on the road, you know. And I don't think that's that's right. right. I think that they need to reseed, and that's what they need to start looking at next year more so than trying to add a game or two. It's this reseeding process. But speaking of right. the 49ers, Baltimore 20, San Francisco 17. Mm-hmm. 71,000 at M&T Huh? Well, I said a, a heavyweight battle right there. Yeah, yeah. 71,000 at M&T Bank Stadium saw uh, Baltimore up their record to 10-2 and two and dropped the 49ers to 10-2. and two. The 49ers lose their second game of the season. Uh, both games have been lost by a field goal on the last play of the game. So they've been in both games to the very end. They're very close to being 12-0. and 0. This game went back and forth, 7-0, 7-7, 7-14, 14-14. 14-17, 17-17, you know. They went back and forth exchanging leads, but Baltimore was able to hold on. Both teams had um, a great rushing day. The 49ers had 174 yards rushing. Baltimore had 178. Uh, the 49ers threw the ball a little better. They had 165 yards passing. Uh, Baltimore only needed 105. The difference in the game, uh, both teams had one turnover. The difference in the game was time of possession for Baltimore. They had five minutes more. And the Ravens had half the penalties the San Francisco had, half the penalties, half the yardage. 
and that may have been the difference. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, 15 of 21, 165 yards and a touchdown, sacked twice. Raheem Mostert, 146 yards, career high, 19 carries and a touchdown. And Kendrick Bourne had 42 yards receiving on three catches. So let's talk about the 49ers first, but um, to me, if Jimmy Garoppolo has to lead them to victory, I don't know if he can or not because, I mean, to me, he, he he's a good quarterback. I'm not going to sit here and not say he's not a good quarterback. I just don't think he's as good as people think that he he is, you know, and I don't know. Do you think they can rely on his arm to win an important game if they had to? Well, I mean, we got to think about this first. First, first of all, he's coming off of a ACL injury. Okay, so we all know we we've watched enough that you know watched enough of the National Football League to know that it really takes two years for you to be completely healed. I mean, yeah, you're you're healed enough to play, but you got to think about the wear and tear on your body when you you know you're taking a three step drop or five step drop. And you're trying to dodge 300, you know, 350 pound plus guys. Okay. So with that being said, you know, I think he's kind of favoring that leg a little bit. Not saying he, I see him limping or anything like that. I think he's trying to protect himself. If that makes sense. Um, you know, Baltimore Ravens got a hell of a defense. Okay, young defense, and these guys. I mean, there's a history. There's a standard. Um, that Baltimore has. I mean, there have been great linebackers there, um, T. Sizzle, Ray Lewis, and others, you know, and, you know, Mosley's and all those. I mean, the, the list is almost, you know, it's nowhere near as long as the Steelers. But when you got those guys coming across and, you know, you're trying to dink and dunk and dodge, I mean, you're thinking about that leg because it's still fresh in your mind. So it's not that I don't think he can do it. I think he can if he has to. But I think he still got that leg on his mind a little bit. So until he can kind of shake that, it's kind of like days of thunder. You know, um, if Cole Tricker was trying to shake that wreck that he had, and he, you know, in Daytona, and he was back in Daytona again, and he had to drive through that smoke and get, you know, that's where Jimmy G is. He's got to drive, he's got to get through that smoke. And once he gets on the other side, he'll be fine. And he has his foot to the floor at that point. Okay. Well, um, on the other side, Lamar Jackson was 14 of 23, 105 yards. Not a good passing day. Uh, one touchdown, one sack. He had a fumble. But he did have 101 yards rushing and a touchdown. And Mark Andrews, the tight end, led the way with three catches, 50 yards, and a touchdown. And but Baltimore gets the offense when they need it, and they beat it out of you. I mean, they're not going to necessarily – drop back and hit you with a 50-yard pass or anything like that. The longest pass they had was 20 yards. They are just going to clobber you, clobber you, and clobber you until you don't want to see them line up anymore. That's correct. You know, sticking sticking with the Days of Thunder thing, um, you know, Mr. Jackson is now – he's Rowdy Burns. You know, or if you want to – we can take it on – we can take it on up a notch. You know, he's the guy to replace Rowdy. Okay, so he's doing he's doing it big, and he's the new he's the new man in town. You got to take him down. He's willing to put you in the wall 
you know, you, you don't race him right. So this is where Lamar Jackson is. Except this guy, I mean, he's really, really talented. He worked on his game during the offseason. Not only can he run, he can pass. He's accurate. Um, he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't turn the ball over. So the Ravens got a great run. I mean, one of the best pickups the Ravens could have gotten was picking up Mark Ingram from the Saints. So they got a two-headed, you know, and then they got somebody behind, you know, Mark Ingram as well. They have a two-headed, three-headed monster, you know, and then if they do, you know, they got trickery, you know, they got what they call the Heisman package. You know, you got Mark Ingram back there. You got, you got Lamar Jackson back there. And then you got, you know, we have to go all the way back to Jaja Bench days and we got, you know, RG3 back there. So, I mean, they got trickery. They have great coaching. These guys are doing it every week. This is somebody, I mean, the Ravens, are, I told you at the beginning of the season, I said the Ravens may have something to say. Um, we all said at the beginning of the season that, you know, Mark, you know, Jackson wasn't going to be able to run around like this all year long. <laughs> well, he's running around. I mean, he knows when to get down. He knows when to run out of bounds. You know, he's doing everything that he needs to do to win football games. It's it's electric. Uh, I didn't think we would be ever talking about him in a, in in an MVP type conversation, but this guy, I mean, he's up there with the big man. You know, he's up there with the Aaron Rodgers and the Russell Wilsons of the league. You know, being mentioned as a you know we cure 80 percent of children with cancer if you think about that i mean go back 50 years and until somebody stops them right now i think they're the best team in the league better than the saints better than the 49ers better than anybody even better than the patriots yeah and lamar jackson is definitely uh to me um the mvp candidate him and maybe russell wilson but uh i was looking at something today on ESPN site, and they had the top five quarterbacks uh, QBR rating, and I still don't know what a QBR is for the uh, for ESPN. There's some little magical formula they have. I don't know if they, there's any way you can go and find an explanation for it because they really don't explain it like it's some kind of secret or something. But it's different than quarterback rating because it factors in other things. But uh, the top five QBR rating are all black quarterbacks. We're talking about Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, or I should say non-white, if you want to be technical. Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, Pat Mahomes, Russell Wilson, and Deshaun Watson. And, Buck, you and I grew up in an era where there weren't any black quarterbacks, you know. I mean, by the time we were in our teens, you may see a few of them in college. Um, you know, they were just really starting to infiltrate college in the 80s. And the only black quarterbacks we really knew in the pros were, uh, you know, what was my man, my man from the Steelers, um, Jersey Joe. I can't think of his name from the 70s that started ahead of Bradshaw at one time. And then you had Reggie Collier, who from Southern Miss played a little bit with Pittsburgh and Dallas. And then you had, of course, Doug Williams, who was the most famous black quarterback um, up until Warren Moon came on the scene and Randall Cunningham. So just real quick, how do you feel? And I know some folks are like, man, y'all need to let this black stuff go. But you got to understand, when there's a first in something, um, you know, you got to have some pride in, in, your, in your, your race. And I think it's sad that it's 2019 before you st- and you're still talking about first for black people and women and, 
and Latinos and things of that nature. But Buck, how did how do you feel knowing that the top five quarterbacks in the league are essentially black? It's the changing of the guard. I mean, these guys are out there doing it. I mean, this is, you know, gone are the days of the pocket passer. I mean, you have to be athletic. You have to be able to, you know, do it on the run. You have to be able to be able to, you get not only, you can't just be one dimensional at quarterback anymore. Those days are gone. You know, we grew up in an era where guys standing, I'm going to use Phil Sims because he was one of the, even though he played for the Giants, he was one guy that I absolutely loved to watch play. Why? Because Phil Sims would stand in the pocket to the absolute last money and last moment and get his ass tattooed every single time. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anybody get drilled in the ground as much as Phil Sims did. That's the one that I don't even know how he kept his jaws in place because he get hit so hard, but he was so damn accurate. I don't know how he saw. It's like he could almost see through the defender. Because the ball always made it to the made it to the receiver or the running back or the tight end, whoever you're throwing it to. It always amazed me. Those days are over. Now you, you if you're standing in the pocket, you're gonna get killed. So these guys create. You know, they are doing the things that we used to do when we were playing in our backyard, and maybe even they used to do when they were playing in their backyard. Anytime we play football coming up, we never stood in the pocket unless you just really wanted to. We always ran and ad lib outside the pocket to get the ball down to the receiver or whoever you were throwing the football to. We always did that. Athlete, you know, the athleticism is what's needed to be a quarterback. You need to be big, strong, powerful, or short, strong, and powerful, and be able to get outside the pocket and be able to keep your eyes downfield. You need to do your check downs while you're running, not being stagnant and taking your three step drop and just looking. You got to be able to multitask, so to speak. And that's the new era of today's quarterback. If you stand in the pocket, you're going to get hurt. You got to have some athleticism. And I'm, I'm glad to see that their they're, teams now are building around the back quarterback. They're not doing what they used to do, you know, and just, you know, try to turn them into pocket passers. Now they're building around them. They're putting athleticism around them. They're putting. They have an athletic lineman that can shift and run with the quarterback. With you know, if he's going to be on a be a design run, you got guys pulling from the right from the right tackle position, going out front in front of the quarterback, blocking downfield. You know, they they're putting athletic people with the quarterback that's athletic, so that that way, you know, things work better. And that's what they should have done then. They just didn't do it. They tried to recreate you or tell you to go play wide receiver. <laughs> play cornerback. Play another position. We don't need you at quarterback. Now they're not doing that. And it's, you know, now we're reaping the rewards of them building around the quarterbacks. All right. I think you made a really good point when you said they're building around these guys. And uh, I think that's a very good point. And I think that the pocket passer, I'm not going to say the pocket passer is going to go away, at least no time soon. But it's kind of like the, the big man in the NBA. Back in the day, the center used to play with his back to the basket. Now you have centers shooting three-pointers and stuff. And I think we're seeing the evolution of the quarterback just as we did the center. So, 
right, moving on. Pittsburgh 20, Cleveland 13. Pittsburgh started it, and they finished it. 62,000 at Heinz Field. Saw the Steelers up their records to 7-5, and five, while the Browns fell to 5-7, and seven, and their playoff hopes are severely, severely compromised. Uh, this game was fairly even as far as rushing was concerned. Pittsburgh did outrush Cleveland 124 to 106, and they outpassed them 199 to 173 as far as net yardage goes. Uh, but Steel- the the Browns had one more turnover than the Steelers. The Steelers had twice as many many penalties, and the Browns won the time of possession. But it does appear that um, in a game that's so hard fought like this, you really can't have too many mistakes. And Baker Mayfield had both of them, 18 of 32, 196 yards, a touchdown interception, five times he was sacked, and he had a fumble that he lost. Nick Chubb, 16 carries for 58 yards. Um, Sometimes I forget, I think Cleveland forgets that they have the leading rusher in the NFL. Um, I mean, this is a game where he probably needed about 28 carries. And Jarvis Landry had six catches. For 76 yards. And let me go to the phone line. So the 732 area code. Garden State of New Jersey. And welcome on Ray. Ray what's going on man? Hey what's up. Uh, you, Buck. How y'all doing? Doing well man. What's up Ray? And Ray let's talk about hey. Cleveland right quick. I mean everybody wants to talk about the shirt. Um, that Kitchens Warren said. That was motivation. And I mean I don't know if it was or not. But. I mean, what do you think is going on with Cleveland? Because this is a game where if you're playing a third-string quarterback, you should be able to win when you have the leading rusher um, at running back, and then you have a Kareem Hunt behind him, and then you have Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham, who only had three catches for 29 yards, and this upstart quarterback. Why is it that Cleveland – couldn't manage any more than 13 points in a game this important. Well, I, I think they was two easily matched teams. I mean, uh, Pittsburgh won, but they was at home. Cleveland won when they was at home. So, I mean, it, it's a, it comes down to who has home court advantage, home field advantage. But at the same time, I will also say that you know, I think it's the play calling. I think it's Freddie Kitchens. And, you know, when you make a guy head coach and he doesn't have any head coaching experience anywhere, that's almost unheard of unless he's, you know, a legendary player or or something. But, you know, I, I just think they're not using the, the weapons right. I mean, they got the best backfield in the NFL, period. Because either one of those guys can top five running backs in the league. So, and Odell Beckham, I just think they they wasting this talent over there. I just don't know what the deal is. I mean, Baker Mayfield found guys in college. He found guys last year. But just seems like he has a problem with connecting with a guy that seems to be open. So, I don't know what, what the reason is. Only thing I can draw is if you got a coach that doesn't have experience or doesn't have coach or you don't have a coach that the team respects, then you have guys freestyling doing whatever they want to do. I'm not saying that's the case with Baker Mayfield because I don't know, but 
when you have that much talent and you pay out that much money to two wide receivers, you got to get them guys to football, and you guys got to win some games. And right now, they just they they not doing it and haven't done it all season. Looked like they were going to hit the stride, and then you know they had the, the situation on the field, and that kind of derailed them again. And now they right back where they were at the beginning of the season. So I just think that they need to go in a different direction with a whole nother coach. There's going to be some good coaches out there. And I think that the Freddie Kitchens experiment should be over. I agree. If anybody that needs to be one and done, it needs to be Freddie Kitchens. Because uh, I just don't see it with him. I don't have any confidence. I, I just don't have anything that makes me feel like he can be the type of person to lead this team somewhere. I mean, they had that big win against Baltimore. And everybody's like, wow, they just took down Baltimore. It's before Baltimore really hit their stride. But, um, you know, you kind of had expectations after that, and then they just, I don't know, they're consistent. And Odell Beckham, I mean, it's just a matter of time before he's on SportsCenter every single night wanting to go somewhere else. And uh, real quick, I got a question about Odell Beckham that I meant to ask you all weeks ago when it happened. And I forgot, and I don't want to forget about it again. And um, let me ask you first, Ray, and then I go to Buck. Do you remember back in the New England game when Cleveland played New England, and at the end of the game, did you see Odell Beckham uh, gave Tom Brady a pair of shoes? Did you see that? No, I didn't, I didn't see that. You might have to Google it to see a picture of the shoes, but Tom Bra- I mean, Odell Beckham gifted Tom Brady – a pair of shoes at the end of the game. This is on the field, everybody shaking hands. And they were it was made shoes were made out of goat hair. They were like cleats or something. They were made out of goat hair. It was essentially goat like, hair. you know, yeah, the greatest of all time. They were essentially goat shoes for Tom Brady, with him saying that Tom Brady was the greatest of all time. And um he gave them these shoes right after the game, meaning that they were on the side, the shoes were on the sidelines or something like that. But there were some go-hair cleats. And this was right there in front of Baker Mayfield. This is what made it so tripped out. He gave it to him in front of Baker Mayfield. And, you know, the, the cleats are kind of like camel color. They got OBJ on the side of them. And he said he's one of the goats, and he's more goat than I am. That's the quote he said when he gave him the shoes right there in front of Baker. How do you feel about that, man? If you're if you're Baker Mayfield and a man at the end of the game while everybody's on the field shaking hands, you know, not in the locker room afterwards or not after the game, this is on the field. He gives this guy a pair of shoes and calls him the GOAT. How would you feel if you were Baker Mayfield? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel no kind of way about that. I mean, when you look at what Tom Brady's done, I don't think if you were Drew Brees, you could have a problem with that. I mean, I think it's a lot to do with circumstance and Belichick and everything else in organization, but he's been able to win, and he's put it on his shoulders and that he came back on his arm, and even if it is the system or whatever the case is, 
when a guy has six Super Bowls and been to what nine, I, you you got to kind of uh, you got to respect that no matter who you are. And if you're a player, who knows? This may be his last season, and you want to make sure that you know you pay homage and you get a man respect. I don't think there's nothing wrong with that. When a guy is that great, now if you come up here giving Garoppolo or somebody cleats, then yeah, that's a problem. But somebody like, um, uh, you know, Tom Brady, I would completely understand that. I don't think it's a problem. And a wide receiver should have a lot of respect for the quarterback position because that's how he makes his living getting the ball from the quarterback. Because you could take Julio Jones and put him on the Pop Warner team. If you don't throw him down, if you can't give him the football, he just looked like a, a deer out there running past everybody. He could have zero catches and zero yards. So it, as a wide receiver, I think you grow up, you respect the quarterback, you watch the quarterback, and you admire the quarterback. So, no, nah, I don't have a problem with it at all. Buck, how do you feel about it, man? I just think it was out of pure respect. I mean, Odell, you know, to me, he's always done things differently. And some sometimes it's viewed, you know, viewed not positively. But really, he does a lot of great things. I mean, there's some things that you question, but there's a lot of things he does well. I mean, there's no, you know, there's no denying, unfortunately. The, the man's got talent. You know, I still say he's not the greatest all time. I still say Joe Montana is, but, um, you know, arguably, you know, he, right now, currently he is the greatest right now. So, I mean, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty cool gesture and God knows what he'll do with those shoes. He'll probably put them in some closet or something. I don't know if he'll put him in his trophy case or not, but I mean, if he wanted to, you know, get him something that's unique and different, so be it. I mean, I don't see it. I don't have a problem with it. So, it is what it is. All right. Well, I guess I'm in the minority on this. Um, I don't have a problem with him giving the shoes. I have a problem with him when he did. And the reason I do is because, okay, first of all, is after a game, you just got your butts handed to handed to you. I, I, I just, I don't, I don't even like how the players like swap jerseys personally, but I mean, that's a little different than giving someone um, a gift that you had stashed on the sidelines. I just don't think that in the grand scheme of things, it's important during a football game. And although I can appreciate sportsmanship and things of that nature, uh, if I'm a coach or if I'm a teammate, I want to see my team, you know, just have a little something about you where, hey, you know, this is your, this is a team, this is your opponent, this is a team you're supposed to be trying to beat, you know. And the last thing I need is somebody after you get your behind tossed, running to the sideline to grab some cleats to go take it over to you know, your opponent. To me, that's just, it's just bad time. It's just a bad look, you know. I mean, I think it looks bad to the fans. I think it looks bad to your, your, your teammate. You know, even though Baker Mayfield knows he's not one one hundred for what Tom Brady is, 
But it's like, you know, dang, bro, you can't wait for me to get off the field before you, you know, go show glory to this quarterback? Or, you know, do you want to play in New England? I mean, it's just, to me, it's just a bad look. I mean, like I said, maybe I'm just in the minority on this because I don't even like to, I don't even like to see um, like um, an opposing team helping somebody up off the ground. I don't even like that personally. If I'm a linebacker and I tackle a running back and the running back's on the ground, I'm not going to help him up. You know, get up yourself. Use your own energy. Why am I going to exert my energy to help you save yours? To me, that's the little stuff that I see in sports because guys are buddy-buddy and have the same agent and all that stuff that really can affect the game, maybe in a, in a small way, but it really can affect the game physically and as far as your mentality is concerned. And, uh, you know, and I mean, like, like you all said, I'm not saying you all are wrong. I mean, it, it, it doesn't necessarily harm anything, but I think it can affect, like, the psyche, so to speak, of, you know, your fans, you know, the fans don't think you're confident or that you want to play in their city because you're smoothing up to your opponent, you know, some other player. And um, it's just not a good look to me. But I just thought I'd run it by you all to see how you felt. I'm going to have to ask that question in the zone coverage group on Facebook to see what other people thought because I've been kind of holding on to that for a while. Let me ask you this, too. Now, Michael Jordan is my favorite athlete ever. Now, if you was playing basketball and you had a chance to play against Michael Jordan, you lost the game or you won the game. You mean to tell me when the game is over with, you can't get an autograph, you can't get a jersey, you can't get a shoe signed or pass something along to him. You mean to tell me that the game is going to take presence over that. The game is over. If I have to do it right there on the court after the game, I'm not doing it. Now, the only difference is, um, do you remember back when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar retired and like he announced his retirement at the beginning of the year and everywhere he went, people gave him gifts? You remember that? Yeah. All yeah. right. Now, that, so that he was like the same thing happened with D-Way last year. Yeah, yeah, that's a farewell tour. I look at that differently. That Tom Brady said he's gonna play till he's fifty. He ain't going nowhere, according mm-hmm. to him, right? So, no. I look at that a uh, farewell tour a little differently than I do somebody who I'm just playing this year, who may be around for three or four years, or something like that. And again, I'm not saying you can't do it, but I'm just not gonna do it out there on the field right after the game. I don't care who it is. And the and the and the game is over. Yeah, the game is especially if I lost. Especially if I lost, I mean, folks don't care about losing no more. So I mean, if I, I won, think, it would be different. And I mean, I'm not necessarily trying to do it if I won because I just don't think it's a good look. But I would feel better if I won. But if I lost, definitely not do it. Definitely not do it. That's something where you can go. You know, afterwards, I mean, I've seen plenty of pictures, um, kind of like when when um, it was a playoff game where the Broncos beat the, the Ravens, and Ray Lewis went to the Broncos locker room after the game and congratulated Peyton Manning on the win and stuff and just had their little private moment or whatever that somebody took a picture of. To me, that's cool. To me, that's fine. But out there in front of the 
all the press and the fans where they can spin the narrative any type of way, you know, kind of like what I'm doing right now, I'm not going to give nobody that opportunity. Well, that, that, so, so how is that different than shaking somebody's hand after the game? Is that showing good sportsmanship or is that going too far? I think it's a huge difference. Shaking somebody after the game, we're on the field, the game's over. Um, it's a tradition. Everybody, everybody's supposed to do it. Um, it's not me running and grabbing a package. Coming out there and presenting it to somebody like I'm, I'm doing a surprise proposal or something. I mean, that's a huge difference. This man had to put all this thought into this, you know, to to make the shoes. It's a nice gesture. Do it before the game, you know, if if it's that serious. But you know, I mean, like I said, um, in in the grand scheme of things, most people, just like you all, probably don't think it's that big of a deal. But I think it can affect uh, teammates and definitely affect fans the wrong way. Because I guarantee you, if you ask some Cleveland fans about it, a lot of them probably didn't like it. So, and I just, as you know, as a fan, I don't want to see my fan, my team, you know, smoozing up to another to their opponent that just smacked them up and down the field right after the game. I, I mean, it's just. It's like you don't. It's like you're just saying, okay, well, if you don't care, why should I care? So, like I said, I, I just don't think a lot of people take, take take losing seriously. But again, I'm I'm in the minority. I know I'm a dinosaur on certain things, but I just like, hey, I mean, I, he wouldn't have done that on Bill Parcells' so, team so, without hearing about it. Okay, okay. Let, let, let me put it to you another way. If you and both both was playing in the league and you played for Jacksonville Jaguars and, and you That's played for the New Orleans Saints. <laughs> and, and, and and you played for the New Orleans Saints. Now when the game is over, you guys not gonna talk on the field, you're not gonna change anything, and you're not gonna go out to dinner while you in town. I don't know if people do that or not, and I don't. That's a good question. Um, and even if you guys went to college together or something like that, that does not make a difference. And the well, again, that's something. I think, it, I, th- that's, I think in I, I think in that instance it does. Um, I know I, you know, if if that was the case, I know I I know how I am. I would, but um. You know, for some, you know, maybe now I wouldn't do anything before the game because this is the thing. I mean, I know a lot of teams now, um, you know, players, you know, have the same agents, whatever, went to college together, maybe went to high school together and not college. And when they come to town, they may want to get together. Um, I understand that. I get that. But, you know, at the same time, this is game week. And I damn sure ain't going to do it before the game because, you know, there's that conspiracy theory that, you know, oh, man, he's hanging out with this dude. He's giving secrets to the team and, you know, and all those kind of things. Same thing with this stuff with these guys practicing during the offseason. Um, you know, you hear people say this crap all the time. You know, uh, they were saying it during the steel game um, that Joe Hayden actually uh, practiced with the guy he was covering for, uh, for Cleveland this week. 
you know, and you know, it's it's just, you know, I wouldn't do anything before the game because I know how I am when I play. You know, you don't. I'm real serious minded anyway, so you know, I ain't. You know, I ain't. You know, you know, Q, my best friend. You got to wait to have that game's over. <laughs> you know, so and I'm not gonna do anything before the game. You know, I'm gonna be 100 percent trying to make sure everything is good for the game. Then after that, hey, man, you know, bus ain't leaving tonight. You want to go grab a bite? I'm I'm with it then. So. Yeah, and then if it's, then, if it's the end of the season. Say, man, he lost and he, he went out to dinner with the team that beat him. That's what they're going to say. If, now, if it ain't a, just going to be you. It might be the wide receiver. It might be the running back come along with y'all. Hey, this is my boy. We grew up together. He cool. He said, oh, this such and such. such. It's all about networking. Now, but see, I think it's it it's, it's going to be you and him. I, I think it's a, it's all about having a competitive nature. Like back in back in high school, like during the summer or or something. Well, not in high school necessarily. We can go back to junior high. During the summer, when we just play a pickup game of football, right? Just a bunch of guys out there playing pickup football. We pick sides. If Sean was on the other team. Every time he got the ball, I tried to knock his head off because he was my boy, right? And the same with me. Yeah, yeah, I, got I the ball, that. He tried. That's the competitive nature, you know, and I don't see that really in a lot of situations to where, you know, yeah, we can still be cool afterwards. So I think it's the same, it's the same thing or whatever. If I'm playing against him in a competitive setting, if he's a Jaguar and I'm a Saint out of all the teams, uh, then he understands, right? He will understand just like I understand. <laughs> hey, once this game is over, once this stuff dies down, we can be cool. Once the competitive juices are gone, we can be cool and all that stuff. But for me, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen right after the whistle when the game is over. Yeah, I can be cordial, shake your hand, say good game, even ask you how your family doing. And all that stuff, but I'm not going to be exchanging gifts and doing all that mess right after the game because that means that I had to prepare all this stuff before the game. And for me, I'm, I'm not going to take the time to do all that because I need to be prepping for a game. I don't need to be prepping for giving anybody no gifts. But that's just me. Mm-hmm. You know. And no matter if it's your idol or not, it don't matter if it's my best you friend. Said no matter who it is, it don't matter who it is. If I can't see him after the game or, or, or something like that, then I mean, so be, if, I, if we both in the league together, I can get something to him. I mean, that's that's not a big deal. Yeah. I mean, I, I have the wherewithal to get something to him. It's not like, you know, I'm somebody that sits on the bench and doesn't play and he don't even know who I am. I mean, we're talking about Odell Beckham, you know. So everybody knows Odell Beckham. And if he can't get something to Tom Brady or if he can't get an opportunity to speak to him, or whatever. If Bill Belichick won't let him in the locker room, then I mean, then that's another situation. But still, Bill Belichick is doing that for a reason because he wants his player to keep his competitive edge, you know. So it don't matter to me. It really doesn't. But I'm gonna post this in the group. And I'm gonna let you know what some of these people think whenever they do respond to it. it might have to be on the next show or something. But I just thought it was an interesting topic. But finishing up this game real quick. Um, Buck on the Pittsburgh side, Devlin Hodge, Hodges was 14 of 21, 
212 yards, a touchdown, interception, sack. Um, he was sacked once. Benny Snell led the team rushing with 63 yards and a touchdown. And James Washington had a big game, four catches, 111 yards, and a touchdown. Um, How did you feel about Duck, you know, getting in the start and um, kind of being poised throughout the game and um, just your overall play as far as the Steelers' defense and everything? The game is not too big for him. Um, he gets out there, he, he plays like a seasoned veteran. You know, this kid <laughs> broke NCAA records. I mean, and, and I was saying this, when, you know, during the preseason. You know, typically when you have a, a you know, a Ohio State quarterback playing, you know, we know that Big Ben's on the twilight of his career. But he's still doing it big, you know, but he got injured. So, but during preseason, I'm going like, hey, this is not one of these crash test dummies here. I said, this kid can play. He's undrafted. And his numbers in college, you know, 15,000 yards, over 70,000, you know, over 70 touchdowns. This kid can throw that rock. I mean, he got down in Sanford. I mean, a lot of, you know, people don't, you know, everybody kind of pay attention to your top 25, you know, or your teams in your home state, you know, something like that. But, you know, Sanford's a little college. I mean, I, I don't even know division they in, maybe double-A. But, um, you know, I don't even think they're in Conference USA, you know. So, but the numbers you put are NCAA records. So, I said, man, this kid's got an arm. And seeing him, in, seeing him in camp, I'm going like, this kid should make the team. You know, now we did cut him. And we shipped off, you know, Mr. Smart Man down at the Jacksonville, you know, Josh Dobbs. And we picked this kid up. And I'm here to tell you the best thing we ever could have done because this kid is something special. I mean, he's not the tallest, but he can throw that rock. You know, he's consistent. You know, he he can get the ball downfield. You know, he's kind of you know he's kind of in st- stature as far as Drew Brees in stature. Um, you know, the, you know he's still you know this is a young body of work for this kid. You know, long as our offensive line continues to improve. That's where my running game has improved. Um, the kids that we picked up off these practice squads, they have to be on the team three weeks. We picked up three players on other kids, other team practice squads. And I like what Mike Tomlin has done. What we've done in the course of the last few years is even though we don't pick up players that we bring into Pittsburgh, the reason why we've been drafting like this the last couple of years and making trades and doing these types of things is because those are people – that we have already interviewed in-house. So what they go to another team. That's way a year or two down the road, we'll go get them. And Mike Tomlin is making – Mike Tomlin and our general manager are making moves to make our team better. You know, everybody thought the Fitzpatrick trade was just the dumbest thing in the world. <laughs> well, this kid's playing his ass off. Um, we weren't going to tank the season just because Big Ben went down. We made strategic moves throughout this whole season to make it make it happen. Our coaching staff is getting their feet up under. The defense is playing lights out, full of first round draft choices. They're gelling. You know, we're doing the things we need to do. As long as we stop, the one thing we got to do is stop turning the football over. We've gone 19 straight games with a turnover. That has to stop because if we plan on playing in January football, we can't be turning the football over. Now we're creating a lot of turnovers. But you, if you create just one turnover at a critical moment in the game, that could be the difference of the game. So we got to clean that up. But the running game's getting better. 
doesn't matter. We, we're plugging and playing as far as running backs goes. So we're still doing a little bit of wildcat here and there too, but we got to keep. We're going into December football now, so we, you know we got to keep raising the standard. Um, we do get Pouncy back this week, so that helps. But I really think BJ Finney played well at center, well enough to maybe let Pouncy sit on the sideline a little bit longer. Sometimes you just got to stay with a hot hand. And right now, you know, with the people we have playing right now, I think it's opening eyes to a whole lot of people. Um, you know, Juju is a good guy. You know, he's very lovable, you know, for fans and things of that, that nature. But the guys that are on that football right now, on that field right now, are playing. And the guys that are on the sideline injured, they better take note because they may lose their positions. All right. And uh, well, I don't know who you heard said that Minka Fitzpatrick deal was was a bad deal, but I thought it was a great deal. I ain't heard nobody say it was bad. But yeah, uh, I ain't either. I was hoping yeah. we got him. Yeah, because I think everybody wanted him. But uh, all right, so we will move on. Kansas City 40, Oakland 9. 73,000 at Arrowhead Stadium saw the Chiefs up their record to 8 and 4 while dropping the Raiders to 6 and 6. And um Kansas City led this game 31 to nothing at one point and they had control of this game from the get-go. Uh Oakland ran the ball well, 122 yards rushing to Kansas City's 96 and passing they did pretty well too. They actually outgained the Chiefs 332 to 259, but the difference in this game, three turnovers. Uh, the Raiders also had 12 penalties for 99 yards. The Chiefs did not have any penalties in this game. That's just crazy. I don't know if I can remember the last time I saw a team not get penalized at all, and the Chiefs were also 7 for 11 on third down. Derek Carr was 20 for 30, 222 yards, a touchdown, Two interceptions, sacked twice. Uh, Josh Jacobs had 17 carries for 104 yards. I think he fractured his shoulder in this game, but he's going to continue to play this season. And tight end, Daryl Waller, seven catches for 100 yards to lead the team receiving. And, Ray, I thought y'all did everything right, man, except for the mistakes. Um, And that just gave Kansas City all the opportunity they needed to cash in. And I I didn't see none of this game. I saw just just the highlights. I got ready to game and I watched the other games earlier. And I think it was like maybe two games at four o'clock. One was, I believe was Arizona, and the other one was us. And I think maybe then Denver was playing, but we was blacked out. So I said, oh, man. So I had to go to my app and try to get on regular TV. And when I got on regular TV, the Internet at work just wouldn't work right. So I didn't get the sense it would play. Like, I don't know if you all ever watch the games on your your phone, but when you play it and then you, you will be three or four plays ahead and all of a sudden it'll take you back four plays. Man, you know, just kept getting that kind of stuff. So I really didn't see none of the game, but I know they jumped on us early and frequent, you know, and I was just, you know, 
I, I know Kansas City's always had our number even before Mahomes become quarterback. But I expect for us to put up a better fight from what you're telling me that, um, you know, we ran the ball well, we threw the ball well, we just didn't protect the ball, and we we always get a lot of penalties. Yeah, we always in the top five in penalties every year, but, you know, I just think with Kansas City and they run the they, – they pass an attack is just, just too much for for us. That's why I don't want to stand – like Mika Fitzpatrick and even Jalen Ramsey and guys like that when they were available and and, and was Marcus Peters and guys like that. You have to take a look at that. I know we want to trust the draft and everything else, but we got to take a look at that because how are we going to win a division if you don't have enough people in the secondary? I know we got guys hurt. Marcus Jordan's hurt. You know, Jonathan Abrams been hurt. Uh, let's see who else. Somebody else is hurt too in second day. I can't think of who it is, but you know, in order for us to have a chance to beat Mahomes and all them fast receivers they got, we got to have a lot of corners. And you know, I like the things that I see that we've done this year, but I felt like the Jets game we should have won it. Not the way we played just before the game started. That game was a game that we thought that we should be able to win. And then it gets stomped out like that. Kansas City, I expect us to pretty much lose. You know, we have the ability to win the game, but chances are, like you see games, they say, what's the chance of them winning and stuff like that? I would get Kansas City about an 80% chance, give us a 20% chance. But if we play well, we could win the game. But these last two weeks, we just hadn't played well. And, you know, we got plenty of good ball players, young guys up and coming and everything else, but we got to put it all together. And right now, it doesn't look like it's going to be no playoffs or anything like that. So, you know, I'm just proud to see us making progress. But when the game's like this and big letdowns, I just – you know, look forward to next year when I see that. And, yeah, I can feel you on that, man. It's like everybody um, seems like this season has a game where it's like, man, what in the world happened? How we lose this game? Uh, you know, I feel that way about the Jets, too. But, uh, yeah, like I said, y'all did everything right. It's just they capitalized on the mistakes. I mean, they had a um, a pick six. Uh, um, a 46-yard interception return that uh, that helped with that. Uh, they had a defensive extra point return, which happened late in the game. It really was, you know, not that big of a deal. But then they had, you know, turnovers gave them a short field, and the penalties kind of helped you, kind of hurt you all as well. And Kansas City was able to do a little something. But Buck, we look at Pat Mahomes, 15 of 29, 175 yards, a touchdown. He was sacked once. Uh, Darwin Thompson, I don't know who he is, but he had 44 yards rushing and a touchdown. And Travis Kelsey had five catches for 90 yards. Um, Tyreek Hill was the only receiver, I believe, that may have had a catch. I think he may have been the only receiver that may have had a catch. Um, But, Buck, you look at Patrick Mahomes, he hasn't thrown for – 
more than 200 yards in the last two games. Now, of course, when he came back from that that bad knee, that dislocated knee, he threw for 446 yards in that game. So he seemed to be fine, so I'm not going to blame it on the knee. But um, he hasn't had to do a lot, I guess. But it's just seemed like something is off with Mahomes. He doesn't seem to be his normal self. I mean, not reaching 300 yards is one thing, but not being able to reach 200 yards? Yeah, I think it's 200 yards, I believe. Um, you know, it's just it, – it was, it was one of those deals where, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what these guys are doing. You know, they got to do better than this. So, 200 yards, got to do better. I mean, we we getting ready to get into December football. We're in December football. You got you got to produce. I mean, now, you know, you just have to get out there and get with it. And he can do better than this. Okay. And um, I don't know. Maybe he's just chilling. I know um, Sammy Watkins not having a catch cost me the playoffs in my money league. No. Uh, Man, in my money league, check this out, y'all, real quick. In my money league in fantasy, well, I had I had two money leagues. Both of the money leagues, I missed the playoffs by a tiebreaker in both leagues. But in one league, it it came down to points. I lost by point two two points of making the playoffs. Point two two. If I would have gotten one catch from Sammy Watkins. Then I would have. Uh, wow. I would have made it to the playoffs. Wow. Or if I would have gotten, you know, five yards from any wide receiver or running back, I would have made the playoffs. Five more yards. So that was very disappointing. I lost in both leagues by um, points on the tiebreaker. In the other league, I lost by like sixty points. So I wouldn't. I couldn't complain too much about that. But that's just want to share my frustration, share my pain. And speaking of sharing pain, he's not here to to uh, – Eminem don't seem to show up when the Eagles lose, and that's been a lot lately. Uh, Miami yeah, sure 37, has, Philadelphia 31. 65,000 <laughs> at Hard Rock Stadium. <laughs> Saw the Dolphins up their record to 3-9, and nine, and the Eagles dropped to 5-7. and seven. And this game ended up being pretty close down the stretch. It looked like Miami was going to blow it. You know, they had a 28-14 to 14 lead uh, in the third quarter. And then Philly got back in it, made it 28-26 at one point. And, well, that's probably actually, let me back up, let me back up. Philadelphia had the lead. Philadelphia had the lead in the uh, fourth quarter at 28-20. And then Miami came back. Took the lead 38-28 and then went up 37-28. And then the Eagles got a field goal. And it seemed like the Eagles were on an onside kick run where it seemed like nothing can go wrong for the Eagles, but they ran out of time and lost by six. Carson Wentz was three, uh, 310 yards on 26 of 46 passing, 28 of 46. Three touchdowns and interceptions, sacked twice. Miles Sanders had 83 yards rushing on 17 carries. And Alshon Jeffrey had a great day, nine catches, 137 yards, and a touchdown. And, Buck, I mean, I, they had some injuries. They really missed Deshaun Jackson big time. But Philly is just – Yes, they do. Man, Philly is just not getting it done. And this is a team that 
Um, you know, just like Dallas, you start to question just how good they are. What is it? Because you want to say the coaching is, is, should be good. I mean, based on them winning the Super Bowl a couple of years ago with some pretty, you know, savvy play calling and everything. But what's going on with them now? This is what's going on. Sometimes you can think that you're too talented. Um, and I'm, I'm going to use the same narrative that I use for the Cowboys in this instance. Um, except there's a little bit difference here because they got a lot of injuries. But Miami on the schedule, okay? Oh, this is an instant win for us. They tanking. They throwing away the season. So as a result of this, they just thought that even with – I think they got enough talent on the field to win some football games. But they, this is the thing. It's something, it's something strange about going to play in Miami, okay? You got all the – these guys showed up like they've been partying all night long. Like they stayed out till 2 or 3 in the morning, didn't, didn't honor curfew, okay? I don't know. Maybe they ate too much. Maybe they had too, many leftover, too much leftover turkey. I don't know what happened. But I really believe that they just said, hey, this is an instant win. We don't need to pay attention to the playbook. We got these boys. You know, we got enough talent. We, you know, we Super Bowl champions. We got this. Well, you don't have it, okay? Carson Wentz does not look like the quarterback he did you know, a couple of years ago when he first got drafted. Um, you know, the offensive line has a lot of holes. Their offense as a whole has, has a lot of holes without Deshaun Jackson and other wide receivers. The running game is stagnant. The defense is on the field too long, and they're not making plays. Um, you know, plus, you know, the kicking game has been, you know, their special teams have been shoddy too. So I just think that they just chalked it up as hey, we can we we in Miami, we can party, we got these boys tomorrow, I ain't worried about Miami, they're gonna throw it away. Well, we know that Fitzpatrick is not gonna throw away the season. He's gonna come to play every game. You know, it may not be flashy, it may not be pretty, but this is a guy that consistently puts up three big numbers. Every time he plays, win, lose, or draw. So you can't go in there half-stepping or thinking that you got an instant victory, you can't do it. And, you know, these guys got injuries and, and all that other stuff. They just came in there and Miami walked dogs home. And I don't – they weren't prepared. You know, they were on the sideline looking like deer in headlock, like throwing helmets, getting all pissed off. And my, the people, you know, Miami Dolphins sideline, they having fun. You know, they say, hey, you know, we got this win. We ain't th- we're not thinking about draft picks. We're thinking about winning football games. So the Eagles got to go back to the drawing board because they're way on the outside looking in. The only way that these guys even have a remote chance of making the playoffs at this point is running the table and winning the division. And, you know, and I just don't see that happening. I mean, Carson Wentz is a good quarterback, but I think all this great talk, I think we need to put that and put that in the dresser, and you know, put it in the closet, and you know, not talk about that for a while because he's not a great quarterback. He's the best. He, he the way he's playing right now, he's on that that mid-range quarterback. He, he's not elite. You know, Foles won the one that Super Bowl, so we we gonna we gonna leave it at that. All right, I got some funny news to tell you all in just a second, but. Uh, on the other side, Fish Magic twenty-seven of thirty-nine, 
365, three touchdowns, an interception, sacked three times. Uh, Albert Wilson had 31 yards rushing. Uh, I mean, their starting running back, I guess, Patrick Laird had five yards on 10 carries. But Devontae Parker had a big day, seven catches, 159 yards, two touchdowns. He could have probably um, made three of the top five spots on you got Moss this weekend because he had at least three catches where he went over the top on people. And Ray, to me, the Miami management, um, to me, they were trying to do everything they can to get a good draft pick. But the Miami coaches are coaching this team and actually doing a good job, man. And I think Flores deserves some credit on it. Well, yeah. I mean, they have some talent. They just need to put it together. I mean, I don't think the Dolphins are as bad as people make them out to be. They got a lot of bad picks. They got Larry Tulsa picks. They got some um, Fitzpatrick picks. And they got their own pick. So they going to fill that roster up quick. And they got a lot of money to spend in free agency. You know players like to play in Miami. So they're not as bad off as they, they really seem. And they really don't need the number one spot because they have three or four top elite quarterbacks coming out in the draft. So even if you're in that number six spot, you're still in a good position. You know, Herbert is going to be there. and uh, Burrow will probably go first. And who knows where Tua is going to go. And then, you know, they got this boy out of Utah State. I can't think what his name is. So they the quarterback position is there. So if they win a couple of games here and there, it's really not going to hurt the they, they stop too bad because and they got the first rounders to move down. So even if they like one quarterback better than the other, you know, I give you some more compensation to move down two spots. And somebody might say, well, I don't think, this quarterback is that much better than the other one. I move back two spots, take your first round pick, and still get the guy that we want anyway. So, I mean, I think if they were really tanking, the whole organization would be on board with that. So, I don't think the top level organization expected too much this year. And, you know, they they knew they was going to have to rebuild and if they win a the game here or there, great. But if they don't, they know they're going to have a good draft pick out of it. So I think it's working out for them. It's definitely working out. And um, I think that, um, <clears throat> like I said, I don't know how committed management was, but Flores is not going to let it be one and done on his watch. He, he's coaching those those guys. And they got rid of Tunzo. They got rid of Kenny Steele. They got rid of Fitzpatrick. And those are the only ones I can think of. But they're still – um, competitive, so I, I think that's kind of cool. This is a story I wanted. I just came across, y'all. It just popped up. The 49ers <clears throat> have suspended their radio analyst, Tim Ryan. Oh, this yeah, yeah, what, I read. Yeah. You did? This is what Tim Ryan said um, about during the Ravens game about Lamar Jackson. He said Lamar Jackson was successful at faking handoffs because of his dark skin with a dark football. Please tell me somebody's not dumb enough to say something like that in 2019. 
he had to know this is going to get him, bring him a world of trouble. Uh, so I just I just saw this for the first time, Ray, and I can't believe this this man saying something like this that his dark skin. I mean, whether it's true or not is inconsequential. Yeah. You can't say a man's dark skin helps him with play action because of a dark football. Yeah, I mean, he, he's right. But at the same time, it's something that you can't say. You know, it's just like if you was up there and you said, well, Chris McCaffrey ran the ball like that. I mean, you might say, hey, I think his dad might be Obama or something. You can't say that because <laughs> that's just not something that you say. But um, to a certain extent, the, the statement was accurate, you know, because when a guy moves that fast and he faces the ball as well as he does, you don't know if he has the ball or not because everything kind of blends in. But it's just something that, particularly if you're not black, you can't say that. And, you know, the way society is now and everything else, you shouldn't have said it, man. Now you got to pay for it. You know, you can't uh, make statements like that. And, you know, people is sensitive, especially when it's coming from another another race or something like that. I don't think the man meant nothing by it, but just in the climate that we're in, we just can't say stuff like that. And I think that's what it's all coming down to. Yeah, I doubt he meant anything by it either. It's just one of those things where he took his um, analysis maybe just a little bit too far. <laughs> I mean, it goes back to to Jimmy the Greek saying that black players are more athletic because uh, they had, you know, their ancestors were slaves and worked harder. I mean, uh, yeah, that that, <laughs> that, that might be a, a valid point, but uh, you can't say that. And he said that back in the 80s. Imagine if he said that now, I man, they would have burned CBS to the ground. So, uh, yeah, you really can't say mm-hmm. stuff like that because we live in a time where, regardless if it may be true or not or has some truth to it, um, people don't want to hear that, you know. So, <laughs> but I came across that and that just tickled me when I saw it. I don't know how long the story's been out there, but all right, a couple more games Houston 28, New England 22. 72,000 at the NRG Stadium saw the Houston Texans up their record to 8-4 and four while dropping the Patriots to 10-2. Mm-hmm. and two. And this was a pretty interesting game. Houston had control, but the Patriots did what the Patriots do. And, uh, you know, down in that stadium, they don't care about coming back. They came back on the Falcons in that stadium, if I'm not mistaken. And... Uh, they were down 28 to 9 in the fourth quarter and ended up losing by six points. And New England turned it on late. Their yards, I mean, they had 448 total yards, but I'm, I'm pretty sure most of that came um, after the midway point in the third or maybe in the fourth. Both teams were pretty even on penalties, um, time of possession. Uh, New England had it almost 10 minutes more. Tom Brady was 24 of 47. 326 yards, three touchdowns, an interception, sacked three times. James White has 79 yards rushing on 14 carries. He also had 98 yards receiving on eight receptions and two touchdowns. Uh, Julian Edelman went 6-106-1 on the receiving side on his end. And 
Buck, I mean, we saw you know Tom Brady on the sidelines telling his guys to to move faster or you know come out their their breaks faster. Or I guess to give them some separation and stuff. And it, the Patriots have been don't appear to have been satisfied with their receivers all season. They have churned receiver and tight ends all year long. And do you think it's coming back to haunt them? Do you think that Tom Brady maybe is not as good as he once was and he can't lift them up another level? What do you think is going on with their offense? Because outside of just not trusting Sony Michelle with the run game, they their passing game just seems a little inconsistent, even though they turned it on kind of strong late. Well, I mean, the Patriots are who we thought they were. The Patriots who we thought they were. You know, we played them for three quarters. You know, damn. I mean, they're the Patriots who we thought they were without all these receivers. Without, you know, it, it's just one of those deals where, I mean, I think it's actually, you know, Father Time is catching Tom Brady. I mean, let's be let's be honest now. Um, in years past, you know, I don't think the Patriots really, other than the Randy Moss era, you know, and that one game with Antonio Brown, you know, the rest of the guys are just guys that, you know, end up being great over time. Um, you know, he created, you know, they say Tom Brady created. Well, don't forget about Grump. So, Grump was good. Well, you know, I'm just talking just strictly receivers right now. We know okay, about okay, Grump. Okay. But just strictly, just strictly receivers. Okay, he's got the probably the youngest receiving core he's ever had um, since he's been with the Patriots. And sometimes, you know, you know this Patriot way that they're talking about, um, it takes time to jail. It's December football. It's not time to jail now. You either, you, you got what you got. Okay, you know the Patriots thought you know they they tried to lure Brock back. Um, they had Antonio Brown, but he had all those issues. Um, you know, now these guys are out there and you got to deal with, you know, they still, you know, you got Watson, but he's on the twilight, you know, he's on the back nine. So you have all these guys out here. They're still trying to get their feet under them. And Tom Brady is used to somebody that he can count on. I mean, there's only so much Julian El- Elderman can do. Okay. He's a great wide receiver. Got to give credit credits due. However, the rest, of, I mean, when he's double covered, somebody has to step up, and these guys are not stepping up. You know, sometimes you have to create separation because you're not going to get it. You got to create it. Um, you got to do juke moves or whatever, out nuts, you know, out, you know, out routes, in cuts, whatever you do to make these guys you know, get the defenders off of them. And you have to be in tune with your quarterback. If that means stay after practice and work with Tom Brady, so be it. If it means nothing more than catching, you know, running routes and catching passes from the jump machine, whatever you got to do, study film. These guys need to get with it, you know. And it's a, you know, trial by fire at wide receiver right now and tight end for that matter for Tom Brady, and it's frustrating. Um, his offensive line has got some holes. He does not have the time that he used to have, that he's accustomed to having. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of things going on as far as that goes. Um, and they're not trusting the run game. Um, you got a three-headed, three-headed monster there running back. 
know, because they they're using all these running backs back there, and the, you know, and they're just you know, it seems like they're still trying to depend on Tom Brady's arm. But Father Time is is undefeated, and is catching him. You know, he he can't scramble out of the pocket. He did scramble. He did have one rush. I don't. I think he got 11 yards on that run, or maybe 13, something like that. But man, it was like watching paint dry when he was running yeah, running down the field. <laughs> I mean, it was like he that just got a seven second forty time. I mean, he really looked slow. So, you know, I don't know what the, what the answer is, but I'm pretty confident that the Kansas City Chiefs are gonna come come in come up there in the Foxborough and beat the brakes of the Patriots. Where it's gonna be a significant loss. Because they don't have any offense, and it, it's coming sooner rather than later. So uh, they got some work to do. I mean, they typically don't get, you know, have two losses in a row. We'll see what happens. I mean, conventional wisdom says go with the Patriots, but the Patriots are definitely vulnerable, and these young guys are gonna have to step up and step up in a hurry if they they plan on making a run. Okay. And Ray, uh, Deshaun Watson did what he needed to do. 18 of 25, 234 yards, three touchdowns. He was sacked three times. Um, Duke Johnson had 36 yards rushing and 54 yards receiving and a touchdown. Kenny Steele's had three catches for 61 yards and a touchdown. And this was a big win for for Houston, Ray. This looks like um, one of those wins that can kind of really help define their season a little bit. And the defense stepped up a lot as well, including Jadavian Clowney. Um, but what do you think about Houston's performance against the Patriots? Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is um, Patriots limited with weapons. I mean, not to say Houston didn't play well. Houston has always had a good defense. And, but the thing is, is I don't know. The Patriots are are heavy on defense and light on offense. And the guys that own offense, I don't think they're in sync. So that kind of makes the defense better than what it is. So I don't speak not to take nothing away from Houston, but the Patriots, I just think that, you know, what's the new and and uh kill Harry and guys like that, I just don't think that they can really compete with a team when they have a, a really good offense or have the offense going. And, you know, the miscommunications and everything else, that can make defense appear better than what it is. So I would like to see Houston play I forgot who they playing in this week, but um, if they can keep the momentum going, I think it would be a, a big, a big uh, sign as far as um how good the defense actually is. Because Houston's defense has yeah, always been once it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, um, Drew Lot looked pretty good out there, so. We're going to see what they can do against him. That court, Sutton is, is, is he next. 
that boy is a good receiver, so we'll we'll see. But Houston, they one of them teams that they'll play lights out one week and then come in and lay down the next week. So we'll see what happens. Okay. All right. And last one we'll talk about. I'm throw an extra game in here, and it's Seattle 37 and Minnesota 30. 69,000 at CenturyLink Field saw the Seahawks up their record to 10 and 2. Vikings dropped to 8 and 4. Vikings had opportunities in this game. Um, it was a very good game. And uh, the NFL schedule guys have been good to us this year, fella. And um, Kirk Cousins, 22 of 38, 276 yards, two touchdowns, um, an interception. And Dalvin Cook had 29 yards rushing and a touchdown. And he got hurt in this game. And they brought in um, Alexander Madison. But they got away from the running game, to be honest with you. They only had 14 rushes in the game. Um, and they were led and receiving Laquan Treadwell. Had a 58-yard wide-open touchdown. Um, he led all receivers 58 yards. And But Minnesota fell, up, fell short. Um, do you think that – I mean, it looked like the defense let them down, but do you think it's because they weren't able to run the ball and Seattle just wore the defense out? I think Seattle wore the defense out. Um, you know, this is a game that Minnesota really going to look back on that schedule and go, wow, we really should have won this game. Um, they had several opportunities. I mean, when you, it's first of all, it's Seattle is one of the hardest, if not the hardest place to play in the National Football League. You know, oftentimes we hear, you know, other sports people say it's Kansas City, it's Seattle, and it's Green Bay. They, those are the, the three teams um, in Foxborough. I mean, strange things happen in Foxborough where, you know, it just, you know, that asterisk is always there, you know, like, you know, it seems like the referees are always on the New England side of things when you play in Foxborough. So those are the four places that they typically talk about. Um, but we all know the 12th man. It was extremely loud in Seattle watching that game. Um, you could see it. I mean, and but I'm going to tell you something about Kirk Cousins. He played a really, really good game. Um, it's just that – there were several drop passes in this game by Diggs, uh, Rudolph, and a couple others um, in this game where they had opportunity to really take this game over and, you know, really make these guys work for it. But Seattle is one of those teams that's battle-tested. You know, you got to you got to score a touchdown. You can't not score them. If you don't score them, eventually Seattle's going to come back and they're going to, you know, they're going to take it to you. And that's exactly what happened. So the defense kind of let these guys down, but really the offense did too by not catching crucial catches at, at pivotal times in this game, especially number 83, missing a, missing a sure touchdown in the end zone. So really, I, I think the whole t- the team as a whole, from special teams to because they missed an extra point, which is really odd. Um, Missing extra points, they they failed in all three phases. It, it wasn't just the defense. They failed in all three phases. And this is, you know, but I can say this. It wasn't Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins did his job. I mean, I know he's getting the rap for not 
not winning in big games and all that, but his numbers say otherwise. But his team let him down as a whole this week, and they're gonna have to do. They have to do a better job. They have to seal the deal. I mean, and they could have very easily sealed the deal and put Seattle away, and they didn't. And it's gonna come back to bite him. It's definitely gonna come back to bite him. Okay. Well, Russell Wilson did what he had to do: twenty-one of thirty-one, two hundred and forty yards. Two touchdowns, an interception, costly interception. It was a pick six. It got Minnesota back in the game. And um, he was sacked twice. Chris Carson had uh, 102 yards rushing on 23 carries and a touchdown. Rashad Penny added another 74 yards rushing and a touchdown. And DK Metcalf had six catches for 75 yards. And Ray, Seattle loves to run the ball. They just punish you, punish you, punish you, and just wear you down. And then in the fourth quarter, can't nobody catch Russell Wilson. Yeah, I think they have a good game plan. I think, um, I mean, Chris Carson kind of got knocked out early in the game. I thought, man, ain't no way he was coming back to the same game. But he came back running hard. I'm like, okay. They they, they just stick, stick to what they know. Chris Carson is a very good running back. You know, I know he's a late-round draft pick, but you know, and now Penny is starting to hit his stride, and you see why he was a first-round pick because, you know, you get picked that high, you expect it to do some things. But, um, yeah, the game was was a good game, and, you know, any game that Seattle's involved in and and it's a good opponent, it's going to be, it's going to be a good game, man. I mean, if Russell Wilson know how to keep his team in it. You know, I know the defense made some big plays and everything else, but he know how to keep guys in it. And I think that, um, you know, he just uh, he imposes will on them boys, man. And he get them fired up and riled up. I think they believe that when he's in the locker room or he's on the field, that they can beat anybody. And when you're a quarterback, you got that kind of respect or you got the team that believes in you that much, I think you can um, you can do some big things. And I think that's what we're seeing in Seattle. I mean, Russell Wilson, man, I think, you know, everybody's trying to put the cap on the MVP already. Russell Wilson got something to say about that, man. I mean – uh, Lamar Jackson has been amazing this year. And, you know, he probably does deserve the MVP, but Russell Wilson does too. That guy running through some, some, some good teams on his field, on their field, everywhere. Comebacks, he, he done, done, did it all. So, you know, I don't think that, that he should be uh, left out of the mix because – we used to seeing him do it or, you know, he's not the flavor of the month this month. So, you know, they got a good squad over there, but Russell Wilson is their leader. And if he's running like he was running and throwing the ball, there's nothing they can do. Hard for a team to beat them unless they just, you know, had defense and offense. That's why San Francisco always stand a chance. But most Russell Wilson on the field, you can't bet against the out. Not at all. All right. 
So as far as some of the other games, Chicago beat Detroit uh, 24-20 on Thanksgiving Day. Trubisky, 338 yards passing. The Saints beat the Falcons in a revenge game, 26-18. Green Bay knocked the Y off of Daniel Jones' helmet. I don't know if y'all saw that or not, but the Y was missing from his helmet. (laughs) Um, But Daniel Jones, um, Green Bay won 31-13. And it looks like Eli is going to be starting Sunday as Daniel Jones is in a walking boot. Tampa Bay 28, Jacksonville 11. Jameis Winston played like a family, 268 yards passing. Tennessee 31, the Colts 17, Brissett 319 yards. Derrick Henry 149 yards on the ground. That dude's running crazy. Cincinnati got their first win over the Jets. The Jets, I think, were the first team to lose to, what was it, two teams that were winless after so many weeks? I don't know. But, uh, yeah, Cincinnati 22 the Jets six. Uh, the Devil had 243 yards passing in his return. Washington 29, Carolina 21. Uh, Geis 129 yards rushing, and Ron Rivera fired. Uh, that kind of caught me by surprise, y'all. I thought he would finish out the season, and I, I thought he would get a pass because of Cam Newton. Um, but he got fired at the losing to the Redskins. The Rams found their offense 34-7 over the Cardinals, found their defense too. Golf had 424 yards passing, Gurley 95 yards rushing, and Woods 172 yards receiving. And the Broncos beat the Chargers as Phillip Rivers and the boys found another way to lose at the last minute, 23-20. to um, And I don't know what to say about that franchise right now. They're just out of control. So... Tomorrow or Thursday's game, if you get this podcast, I guess you can say it's tonight's game. Uh, Dallas at Chicago, and Trubisky played well last week. Um, In the win, Dallas plays well in spots, but they just can't seem to win. But um, I am going to pick Dallas to win this game over Chicago. Uh, So hopefully I won't have my feelings hurt again. And Buck, Indianapolis travels to Tampa Bay. Indy is six and six. Tampa Bay is five and seven. Man, this is a very, very hard game to pick because you don't know which one of these teams gonna show up. Indianapolis every once in a while they go out there and Jacoby Brissett look like the you know, the next coming of Joe Montana. And then all of a sudden, you know, like, you know, the next game, he looks like, you know, Ryan Leaf. So I don't know, excuse me, I don't know what, you know, which game. And then same thing with Mr. Family, you know, over there with Jameis Winston. You don't know which, you don't know which Tampa Bay team's going to show up either. So, man, since Tampa playing at home, I'm going with Tampa. Okay. All right. And Ray? You have the five and seven Carolina Panthers traveling to Atlanta to battle the three and nine Falcons. Right? Yo, Ray. Ray. Buck, are you there? I'm here. I'm here. 
And uh, can you looks hear like me? I lost Ray. Like he dropped. Yeah, I, I can hear. Okay. It looks like I lost Ray. He looked like he dropped off. But um, okay. so who you got, Buck? Carolina and Atlanta. No, this is well. I, I don't know. I, I would typically I would pick with Carolina in this game simply because I just think they're the better team. But since they just lost their coach, there's a lot of question marks. I'm gonna go with Atlanta in this. I'm gonna take Atlanta. All right. And four and eight, Denver travels to eight and four, Houston. Houston. No question. Okay. I'm going to pick Houston, too. The three, eight, and one Detroit Lions at the eight and four Vikings. You know what? The Vikings should win this game, but I'm going to pick Lions in the upset. Okay. I may have thought about this being a trap game back when, uh, before Minnesota lost. But now that Minnesota's lost, I think they're going to destroy Detroit. But, uh, all right. Baltimore, 10 and 2, travels to Buffalo, 9 and 3. Buffalo. Buffalo got the defense. I think Buffalo Buffalo matches up. Buffalo has has matches up well against Baltimore. I, I just really feel that. They're going to surprise a lot of people. Um, this is not, and this is a game that, you know, I think that, like I said, on, you know, about, about the Cowboys. You know, sometimes teams you have on your schedule, you think you can just run over. They're not running over Buffalo. I'm picking Buffalo to win in the upset, and I, I think they're going to win by either three or seven. So I'm taking Buffalo. I'm taking Buffalo to beat Baltimore. I think it's going to shock Buffalo. Going to shock the world. Okay. I think Baltimore wins by double digits. Ray, what do you think? Baltimore at Buffalo. Oh man, I, I, I just don't don't trust Buffalo. So um you know I'm gonna have to take Baltimore. But I don't think they're gonna win by a lot. I think they may be six or seven point game or something like that. But I'm gonna try to take Baltimore and try to be different. Okay. Buck, the one eleven Cincinnati Bengals at the five and seven Cleveland Browns. Cincinnati. <laughs> I think Cincinnati's gonna win this game too. I really do. For Cleveland's sake, they better not. And Ray, you have if, the if three and nine. If, if Cincinnati if Cincinnati wins that game, Freddie Kitchen will be fired. Oh, no doubt. He's going to get fired anyway, but he'll definitely get fired. Uh, Ray, the Redskins at 3-9 and still have a chance to win the NFC East. Uh, They are traveling to Green Bay to play the 9-3 and Packers. Yeah, I'm going to take Green Bay for obvious reasons. I think they're (laughs) going to dump on them. Okay. And Buck, the schedule guys have blessed us again with a 10 and 2 49ers team traveling to a 10 and 2 Saints team. As much as I'd like to pick the 49ers in this, it's hard to pick, to pick against the Saints at home. I'm picking the Saints. Ray, who do you see in this game? 
You say who's that now? 49ers at the Saints. Oh, I'm taking the 49ers. 49ers got that defense. I think the 49ers, I mean, the Saints in the Dome is going to be hard to beat, but I like mm-hmm. them young guns up, up front. I really do. And with Sherman them in the back, I think they'd be able to hold New Orleans down. So I'm going to take San Francisco. I had a hard time deciding this game, but I think Breeze can, can handle the 49ers defense better than Garoppolo can handle the Saints defense. So I'm going to go with the Saints, but, I mean, it, it can go either way. But we'll see. Buck. The schedule guys have blessed us with Miami three and nine at the Jets four and eight. <laughs> I'm taking Miami. Okay. I have no confidence in the Jets Ray, at all. Ray, you have the four and eight Los Angeles Chargers at the four and eight Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm taking Gardner Miskew and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Okay. Buck, the seven and five Steelers at the three, eight, and one Arizona Cardinals. Pittsburgh Steelers. Ray, the seven and five Tennessee Titans at the six and six Oakland Raiders. Uh, oh man. I mean if we can hold Derrick Henry, we can hold it. If, if if we if we can hold Derrick Henry, we can hold everybody else. I won't take Oakland. We at home. All right. And Buck, the eight and four Kansas City Chiefs travel to the ten and two New England Patriots. Kansas City Chiefs, and they're gonna blow them out by 14 points. How do you see it, Ray? Oh, man. I mean, I think that that Kansas City has the firepower to do it, but they are playing in New England. New England, you know, they had lost, you know, not too many games in the Brady era there. Maybe, what, 16, 18 games or something like that. But you do got to lose sometimes. And I don't believe they're going to finish with a 14-2 and record, so I'm going to have to take Kansas City. Okay. I think my homeboy is going to show out. 10... Okay. Buck, the 10-2 and two Seattle Seahawks will travel to Los Angeles to play the 7-5 and five Rams. The Rams can't beat the Rams can't beat the Seahawks. Go Hawks. Now 21 pick of the week, too, by the way. <laughs> Oh, man. And, Ray, you get the Monday night special between the 2-10 and 10 New York Giants led by Eli Manning against the 5-7 and seven Philadelphia Eagles. Man, I, I, I don't know. I used to believe that Philadelphia was the best team in that division. They had so much talent. But, man, after 90 the Miami Dolphins, Anything is possible, but I believe that they will step up and they will have some dignity and stop embarrassing their wife, children, and their parents, and they will beat Eli and the Giants. 
Okay. I um, would love to see the Giants take this, you know, division game, so to speak, but uh, I think Philly should win this at home. If they lose this at 60 home, they'll seconds. Burn the down. Yeah. yeah. All right, fellas. Well, that's going to do it for this portion of the podcast. We'll get into one other topic on the next podcast and some Who Am I's. But we'll go ahead and wrap this portion up. Everyone go to TalkToQ.com, sign up for the email newsletter, and have the show delivered directly to your inbox each and every week. Have a good Hey, what up, Q? What up, Radio World? <laughs> we got something to prove tonight, and we start the whole double thing off. Help me! Play intramurals, brother. But they are who we thought they were. You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. You play to win. Do you have any questions? I got a question. You got any excuses tonight, Roy? Talking about practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice?